You're listening to another episode of the Zag. Eric Desob here. Excited to be joined by Nick Ben Oswan, an NLC 2012 NYC fellow. She's doing a lot of interesting, amazing work. Excited to hear all the inside scoop. Let's get to it. All right, Nick Ben, where in the world are you this morning? I am in New York City. And how long have you been in New York? I've been here since 2009, so about eight years now. Unbelievable. Okay. It's been that long. Yeah. And born and raised there? Are you surprised that you ended up in New York that long? Um, I'm surprised because I I was born in Nigeria. Uh, I call Houston home because I was raised in Houston, spent most of my childhood there. Um, And I kind of didn't expect to end up here, though I knew Texas really wasn't going to work for me long term <laughs> as a progressive Democrat. Um, so I'm, I'm not surprised I'm here this long, but I kind of didn't see it working out this way, which is, it's been good either way. Yeah. yeah. And this is our, our first time ever chatting. So you didn't know that I actually grew up in Houston as well, out oh. by <laughs> NASA in Clear Lake. Is that, were you oh, from okay. the south part of town? I'm, or were, I'm were, from Sugar Land, um, which oh, is nice. okay. the southwest area. Yep. Nice. You still have lots of friends and family there? I do. My entire family is there. They they wonder what's kept me in New York for so long. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I like Houston generally. It's just not the pace of city for me. I like large urban settings. So Yeah, understandable. Well, and it sounds like too, one of the reasons you stayed in New York is you've had a lot of success work-wise and launched some really interesting initiatives and, and projects. I'd love to hear about a few of them. When you Tell people what you do for a living. How do you usually describe what you do? I am an analytics professional in financial services. Um, I'm kind of between roles at the moment, but I'm really, really excited to really still support on a contract basis some of the most exciting analytics projects I've seen in my career. Um, Really thinking about big data and how to use AI and data science to make really intelligent decisions to drive client servicing. That's one of the nerdy things um, I'm super passionate about. Um, I also work a lot in the community, which is where I've spent most of my time lately, really trying to, I think, build capacity um, since 2016, Um, (laughs) figuring out sort of where we're going to go forward as our country changes. And then you're also a co-founder of a nonprofit. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I co-founded Women Work uh, in 2013. And over the last five years, I've really loved growing the community of women um, in the tri-state area. Women Work um, is based in New York, but we have four standing programs year-round that really is meant to collectively uh, gather, celebrate, and challenge women in, in our quest for gender equity. Um, we hold standing programs year-round, including our Women's Conference, which is our biggest hallmark event every March um, in the city. And throughout the year, we hold networking events so that women can get to know each other, really speak their goals, and challenge each other to uphold those goals together. And then what was the hardest part about founding a nonprofit? I've had a few guests on there who've gone through that experience. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Yeah, I think what's, there's two things that I found particularly challenging in a way that uh, corporate life is not challenging in the nonprofit mm-hmm. space. One is this idea of constantly feeling like you don't have enough money uh, to do what you would <laughs> like to do. So nonprofits are always having to think about fundraising and 
um, you know, the inherent nature of our work is that we're not producing sort of market income or anything that people would want to buy like a bank would. Um, and so it's been really challenging to run on such a lean um, financial framework. Um, that's really taught me to be more bootstrappy and to be really, really intentional about how we spend our funds and what we decide is worth working on. We can't do everything. Um, so we have, as I mentioned earlier, four standing programs, but a lot of our support has come through our community of women here in New York. Um, we've been really lean, but gotten so much feedback and so much support in starting this organization that like, it hasn't felt super scrappy, but it, you know, if you look at our financials, it totally has been. And that's a <laughs> skill set that um, I've had to learn quickly in this context. Um, another thing yeah. that I would say is, is particularly challenging about running a nonprofit is this idea that like sometimes you want to organize towards a vision, but then your community will force you to pivot um, in a way that I think is more responsive. So my co-founder and I went into this thinking, oh, we're going to do these policies and these civic engagement practices. And in the last five years, we've had to learn to really pivot um, to be more responsive to the women in our area. Um, so that, that has meant really like redesigning from the bottom up and making sure that we're creating space for people who feel like they want something different from what we as co-founders intended on building out, which has been really exciting, getting to know so many women across the city. Um, it's been great. Yeah, and then tell me about the conference you had. Yeah, so I had last last month. Yeah, our conference in March uh, was amazing. So this was our fifth annual Women's Day conference for women work. Um, the actual content of it was really around the theme of reset. So the idea that a lot of women um, in this day and age feel, whether you look at the Me Too movement, whether you look at some of the reversal of of policies that were meant to sort of be a safety net and, and empowerment um, policies for women. A lot of women feel like we've had to like redesign who we are in a world that can be violent, that can be aggressive. Um, this is not the experience of every woman. Um, however, generally speaking, women do face, you know, events, occurrences um, in our personal and professional lives that, that have us feeling set back. So our, our theme was to reset this idea of, how do you reclaim your power? How do you refocus your energy when life throws you those curveballs? Um, how do you find support that you need to continue to chase after your dreams? We had amazing support from our Manhattan Borough President, Gail Brewer. Um, our Commissioner for International Affairs for the city came out and showed great support. We had three city councilwomen show up to support the event. Um, and a lot of women just happy to share their story of where they've been personally in the past and how they've sort of reset and are still being badass women today, despite everything that happened. So that's really, I think the highlight of my year is our conference. And it's been great to partner with organizations like Lyft and NYU to make it happen. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because I feel like a lot of our fellows here and alumni here who are in nonprofit work also put on conferences. So I'd be curious, actually, when you tackle putting something that large together, how do you envision it to begin with? How do you logistically make it happen? Because I'm sure you had lots of amazing speakers and like you said, different sponsors participating. How do you tackle something so so large and make it successful? Yeah. So I actually find this type of thing to be fun. Um, I'm a certified project manager. So the idea of making big tasks more digestible is super exciting to me. 
Um, for Women in Work, what we do is we start planning about six months out and we recruit amazing women who are all volunteer staff um, and ask them sort of where they see their place in making this vision happen. We start with our annual retreat where my co-founder and I sort of facilitate meaningful conversations about what our leadership team sees as important and what components of the conference really um, need to be built out. So after we've defined that at our retreat, we start to work in committees to move things forward. Uh, and our committees tackle things like um, communication and digital strategy. We have a committee that does community outreach. So going out to the community, find partner organizations to bring them into the work that we're trying to develop. And then we have two more committees, including event operations. So people who are in charge of logistics, any details for the conference, arrivals of speakers, um, setup for the space, things like that is what event ops will own. And then um, the last committee we have is partnerships where we see corporate partners to help make the dream come alive, where we find alignment. Um, and we work, you know, as I said, six months prior to really work backwards to say, okay, this is what we want to have as our final result. Let's, let's make some incremental markers to drive each team forward. And it all comes together today of the conference. Nice. I'm glad it went well. And when we come back after the break, excited to talk a little bit more about things in tech and life in New York. You're listening to The Zag. Stay tuned. All right. I'm glad you mentioned AI a little bit earlier. I always sort of laugh because I don't live too far from SpaceX and Elon Musk is periodically texting about the dangers and horrors of, of AI type things. Uh, do you agree with him that eventually our overlords will be AI robots or do you see more positive uh, possibilities for that kind of technology? Yeah. Um, as a techie, I'm a little biased. I don't think AI is inherently negative. I think technology in general is how you use it. So if we do find that corporations or companies start, you know, using um, robotics or AI to sort of uh, oppress people or build out solutions that are really not in line with human-centered thinking or design, then they would become our lords, right? But I don't <laughs> foresee that happening. I don't know, um, one, how beneficial a marketplace you could create with, with customers that feel oppressed, <laughs> right? Um, but two, I think what's going to be most interesting is, is a pivot away from this idea that, you know, robots or, you know, technologies going to sort of oppress human beings or take away jobs, I think it's going to actually force human beings to think differently. It's going to take away the jobs that people should not be doing and probably don't enjoy doing, but are doing because it's low wage and accessible at this point. Um, I think the development of this space will really force us to start to think about how best to use, use human minds, use human creativity, and unlock new existences for humans, in my opinion. Um, I also really think it'll challenge us to change the way our education is currently uh, laid out. Uh, prior to uh, my life now, I was in the classroom. And as an educator, I always wondered why we didn't have more exposure to things like computer science and coding for all. Um, I'm so proud of our leadership in New York because a lot of leaders are calling for those changes, um, including my friend and city councilman, Mark Levine, because it's not going to be sufficient for our students to not know how to code moving forward. Um, they can do that now because there's still jobs that computers have not completely taken over. But moving forward, it's going to be integral to change the way we teach 
um, access to digital and computer science related courses. It's, it's going to be pivotal if people are going to remain in the workforce. And so I'm, I'm excited that this is going to be a push that's going to probably come from the development of technology and AI. Um, and I'm hoping we can really, really be responsive in our policies to reshape education for the 21st century. And maybe last thing on this point, when you are trying to figure out what's coming next in tech, who do you read? What what blogs or authors do you give the most credence to to kind of give you a good sense of what's coming next? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I, I read uh, TechCrunch a lot to get a sense of what's coming down the pipeline. Um, a lot of my sort of favorite spaces and platforms are really from things like uh, GitHub, to be honest, mm. where people are like writing, sharing, challenging new ideas in a way that is not mainstream just yet, but creating their own communities. And in those little communities, we start to see the innovation that then becomes more um, mainstream once the ideas that are developed and taken to market. I follow a lot of startup communities here in New York, um, General Assembly, um, Alley. These spaces are where smaller, younger companies are starting to push what's possible, rethinking design, rethinking the use of, of the technologies that we use for certain mechanisms today in a new way. Um, not just for profit, right? But to really, again, reshape the way we're thinking about how to apply what we already know. That gets me really excited. Um, New York is a great place for that. Yeah. And final thing, how do folks in the tech industry compare the scene in New York to the scene in Los Angeles? Um, I think we compare more so Silicon Valley and SF than LA. Mm. Um, <laughs> but that's a great question. Um, so I think East Coast, West Coast beef is interesting. <laughs> um <laughs> I think we are built to do different things is what I would say. Um, my friends who are on the West coast are always talking about um, tech culture in a way that I don't think we talk so much about here in New York. I think people love the idea of building things here and the idea of like uh, taking it to market in a way that is not necessarily about the other technologists in the room, unfortunately in New York city. But when I'm in, you know, California, whether it's Northern or like LA, I, I find that the idea of thinking about tech communities is so much more advanced, <laughs> right? It's the way we relate to each other. How do we think about the ethics behind our technology? Um, it just has a different texture and flavor for me. So I would say that it's different. It's not like one's better than the other. Okay. In my experience. That's a good, good safe answer and a good one to end on. Thanks so much for being <laughs> on. And thanks so much for everyone for listening to this episode of the Zag. We'll have more episodes Coming later this week and next week as well, you can catch up on all past ones. And there's over 50 or so, so lots to choose from in the iTunes Store, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you soon.